<clears throat> Heavenly Father, this morning as we've uh, worshiped through um, song, we've uh, heard your angels sing too, and I know that it's been a, a blessing to you as we've lifted up your name today. God, as we open up your word, may you encourage us and challenge us and push us too as we think about faith. In Jesus' name, amen. In a world full of self-made Photoshop experts combined with AI, it's hard to know what is real. If you're like me, you get on the internet and you look at pictures and instantly you think, uh, has this been doctored a little bit? Is there, has there been some adjustments on this picture? Is this real? Is this believable or is it unbelievable? Well, I've made a little test for you this morning. Now, if you were here in first service, I hope that you'll keep it quiet uh, so that the second service crew can have a chance. I've got a little test to see if you can pick out what is believable and what is unbelievable, real or fake. Would you like to play this morning? Nah, it's weak. Would you like to play this morning? That's what I like to hear. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show some pictures, and then uh, I'll ask if it's real or fake. Here we go. Here's the first picture. Ah, well, how many of you say this is a real picture? And like 17 of you. How many of you say it's fake? Ah, yeah, it's actually real. It is. This is uh, Robbie Madison. He uh, strapped some skis to his motorcycle and decided to surf a wave. And I think we should use some church budget money to fund for one of these to get one for Pastor Mark. What do you say? I think so. Okay, here's the second one. Here's the second picture. Oh, we're in the animal world now. Take a good gander at these two pups. I know you're analyzing the shadows to make sure that the Photoshop wasn't done poorly. How many of you think this is a real picture? Okay, a little more than last time. How many of you think it's fake? It's real again. <laughs> this is Bambi and Cutie, two dogs from the Philippines. They were born with a genetic mutation where their front legs never grew. All right, here we go. Here's the third one. Here it is. Ooh, this is a toughie. Looks pretty fake. Now you're playing chess in your mind to think, did Pastor Matt throw one in here to mess us up? I know what you're doing. Okay, how many of you think this is a real picture? Okay, how many of you think it's a fake picture? Ah, how many of you aren't voting anymore? I see you out there, I can see. <laughs> it's a real picture, this is real. His name is Matthias Schlitt. He uh, was born with one arm larger than the other. Now, many of us would say, oh, that's a handicap, uh, messed up for life. This guy said, no, no, I'm using it for my, my advantage. He's a professional arm wrestler, there you go. Okay, here's another one for you sports fans. Uh, take a look at the headless hockey player. Is it real or fake? How many of you think it's fake? Okay, how many of you think it's real? Definitely is real. You, you got an eye for it now. Just perfect timing on the picture. The guy's head was pulled through his jersey. All right, here's the last one for you uh, quasi-Adventist coffee drinkers. Uh-huh. Ooh. Pretty impressive. How many of you think it's real? How many of you think it's fake? It's real, they're all real. <laughs> and you can do this too with a couple of Fruit Loops, drop it there in your coffee and you're good to go. Isn't it uh, funny how we look at pictures sometime and try to find what is real? What's believable? Several years ago, my family and I, family and I took a vacation down to Panama City Beach and uh, we left our dog and our home with some friends of ours 
Scott and Kristen Anderson and their two kids, Luke and Andy, and they were watching our dog and they were taking care of the house and, and Jen and I and the boys were on the beach just soaking up some sun and just enjoying the beach sounds. And, and on Sabbath morning, I get a text message from Scott. He says, I hope you're enjoying your beach vacation. All is well here, but your cat scratched Luke. And I showed the text to Jen, and we both looked at each other and said the same thing at the same time. We said, we don't have a cat. <laughs> and shortly after that, we get this picture right here. I don't know if you can see it. That was Caffrey's bed at the time. Do you see the cat in the corner? It, do you see the cat in the corner? Oh. It's up there. It, I will be the first to admit this is the worst Photoshop ever, yet sitting there with the sun on my phone screen, it was very hard to tell the difference. We don't have a cat, uh, but he Photoshopped this in here and we had been fooled. It, it's amazing how much unreal stuff is out there. And I wonder, when it comes to faith, does our natural disbelief and distrust of reality, does it affect us when we think about trusting and believing in Jesus too? And when our, our faith journey, is, it, is there a real connection with him or is it just imaginary? Can you really trust him? There's a story in the Bible, and in fact, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, where we read this story. I think it's a pretty unbelievable story, but we get to see Jesus in action. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can use the blue book that's in front of you and turn to page 714. You'll read the same words I'm reading. I'll give you some context while you're turning there. Jesus, he's with his 12 disciples. He's just predicted his death. He's talked about what it's like to live as a disciple. And he and his, uh, some of his disciples, three of them, Peter, James, and John, they go up a mountain somewhere in the Galilee area. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. They get to the top, and Jesus is completely changed. Physically, he looks different. He's glowing with this light uh, robe that he has now. It, it's, it's a very uncomfortable situation. You've got these three disciples. They're hanging out with Jesus. He looks completely different. All of a sudden, some random dudes show up, Elijah and Moses... Uh, the Bible says it's a very awkward situation because it says that Peter didn't have words to say. He's thinking, what is happening? What do I do? And so Peter's just trying to stay busy. And so he says, can I make some shelters for you? Like some huts? I don't know. He's, he's just trying to stay busy because it's awkward. Uh, finally, the, Jesus and the three disciples head back down the mountain to join the other nine disciples that are there at the bottom. Uh, a crowd has gathered around these nine disciples. There's religious leaders there. There's an argument that's happening. And as Jesus comes down this mountain, he can sense that the disciples that were with him are feeling kind of weird about what's happened. They're not sure if they believe uh, in Jesus fully. Uh, the disciples that are with the crowd are also in a weird spot. He can read them. He knows what's happening in their hearts. And we uh, get to the story where Jesus says, what's going on here? Mark chapter 9, verse 17, here's what happens. 17 says, A man in the crowd answered Jesus, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they couldn't do it. And as I think about this, and as a parent, I think about my kids, and you have kids too, and this is dad, and this kid is demon-possessed. This is a big deal. This isn't some little problem. This is a very big problem. 
It's a huge problem. It's really big. And I wonder when you have big problems and big issues and, and big struggles and big challenges and big upsets in your life, when they're so big, does your faith suddenly get really small? There's a verse in the Bible. Let me back that up. There is a verse that gets quoted all the time that isn't in the Bible. Not too long ago, I was in my driveway and my neighbor across the street, his name's Chris, he was outside and I said, hey Chris, how's it going, man? And he said, hey, he said, man, I'm barely making it over here. I said, tell me what's going on. He said, well, I've been working nonstop. He works nights, he works at the airport. And then he comes home, he sleeps a couple hours. And then he, he works on home projects all day and he's exhausted. He said, man, I don't know if I can make it anymore. And so he quotes this verse where he says, well, Matt, the Bible says that God will never give you more than you can handle. It's not in here. He's agnostic. He doesn't really know if there is God. Uh, he could believe it, but he doesn't really know. But agnostics and Christians, we all quote this verse. God will not give you more than you can handle. But what we're quoting, we're misquoting, is this verse here. It's in 1 Corinthians. This is what it says. It says, God's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can take. But when you are tempted, he will make a way for you to keep from falling into sin. That's talking sin. That's talking about temptation that we all face. And God says, uh, you'll never experience temptation where I can't give you the power to overcome that. But facing big problems and big ordeals, you better believe you'll have hard things in life and big problems and things that you can't handle. Of course, God will allow you to experience things that you can't handle. You can't handle financial crisis. You can't handle becoming divorced and being a single parent. You can't handle being sick or having someone in your life that is sick, that they even die. You can't handle it. You can't handle the ups and the downs and the ins and outs of life. You just can't handle it. And I don't think that God would give you a guilt trip that as you experience something so big and you are, are suffering and, and not doing well in it, that he would say, but I wouldn't give you something so big you couldn't handle it. You're not good enough. That's not the God I know. The God I know is one that allows you to experience really big challenges so that you turn to him in faith. What are you facing right now that is so big? It's overwhelming. Too much for you to handle. Maybe the question that I should ask is, what are you facing right now that should be driving you to put your trust in Jesus even more? No matter what difficult challenging challenge you're facing right now, you can have comfort in the fact that the disciples, all nine of them surrounding this boy, they failed too. They couldn't handle it. This man with his son with demon possession, and, and they can't cast the demon out. They had the power to, but they couldn't do it. They've done all their best, and they're starting to lose their faith in the all-powerful one that can do it all, Jesus. They knew that they were in over their heads. Here's how the story continues. Verse 19 says this. Jesus, as he sees the situation, he says, You unbelieving generation... How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? <laughs> sometimes I read Jesus' words and I don't, I don't like how it sounds. Uh, he sounds angry here. But how I really hear him say is, hey, I'm here with you. You can always trust me and I can do it all. So just trust me, believe in me, and let's do this together. 
And put yourself in, in uh, the father's shoes for a minute. I mean, he's tried it all. He's, he's done his best. He's taken him to doctors and nurses and, and, and all sorts of medical professions. He's done it all. He's, he's tried different medications. He's tried different situations. He's done his best. And he finally takes his kid to Jesus at the last. And, and it makes me think as he's finally taking him to Jesus, I wonder when we face challenges, why is it? that we seem to wait until the very last to take it to Jesus. It happens all the time. Uh, we try to fix it ourselves. We try to figure out the situation ourselves. We ask a few others to speak into it so that we can fix it ourselves. And it's, it takes us way too long to take it to Jesus. And I bet this dad in the story wishes that he had just gone straight to Jesus with his boy and said, uh, nobody else can do this. I, I doubt they can do this, and I want you to do this first. And as he comes to Jesus, Jesus says, bring the boy to me. Verse 20, it goes on, it says this. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Are you seeing this? Can you imagine being one of the onlookers? You're just there and this boy is, is thrown to the ground. He's rolling, he's foaming at the mouth. He's gnashing his teeth. I mean, this is spiritual warfare being played out right in front of you. It's almost like a, a physical battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. You're, you're watching it happen right in front of you. It's terrifying. And this demon, as he sees the face of Jesus, he begins to flex whatever power he has to show what he can do, yet he doesn't know the power of Jesus the one that is all-powerful, the one that has the power to create life, the one that gives you, has the power to give you every breath you take, the one that has the power to overcome death. He's got all the power, and Jesus is about to show his power through mercy to this kid. You know, I'm daily amazed at the power that Jesus has. I'm amazed at the power that he has over nature and over human hearts and over situations. He can do it all. He's all-powerful. Several years ago, I had a date day with my wife on a Monday morning, and uh, somebody had given us a gift card to a fantastic restaurant in Atlanta called The Flying Biscuit. I'm a breakfast guy, and this is a great breakfast restaurant. If you're ever in Atlanta, go to The Flying Biscuit. And uh, so Jan and I took our gift card, and we went to The Flying Biscuit, and it was a rainy Atlanta day, and, and we drove up to the restaurant we parked, and we had our rain jackets on, and we got inside, and, and as we took our raincoats off, she was wearing a t-shirt that I'd never seen before. Just a, just a t-shirt, nothing special, just, just a gray kind of heathered t-shirt, yet it had um, some writing on it. And, and, I, and I kind of focused in on the writing, and I read the words, and I started crying in the middle of this restaurant because I read the words that were on a t-shirt. Here's the words, here's what it said. It said, isn't it amazing to know that the most powerful being in the universe is also the kindest, most gracious, and forgiving one? Oh, isn't that beautiful? He's got all the power of heaven and earth. It's all in him. He's got it all. And what's crazy is that he could use his power in a million different ways to obliterate this demon, to send him into eternal hell. He, he could do whatever he wants. He's got all the power. Yet he chooses to show his power to you and me on the cross. In fact, uh, Jesus' power is so powerful that there's nothing that keeps, can be in between you and him. Uh, Paul says it best in Romans. He says it this way. It's on the screen for you. Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons. He goes on, he says, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, isn't that the most beautiful passage? That's the powerful God of the Bible. There's nothing that can separate us from God. Nothing. And as Jesus stands with this child that's demon-possessed right in front of him, he sees that there's a disconnect. Something is in the way, and he won't have it. Verse 21, the story goes on. Jesus asks the boy's father, he says, Hey, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. And we pause there for a minute because Jesus pauses there for a minute too. And he zooms in and he focuses on one single word with two letters, if. This dad, this, this father, he's desperate for his son to be heal, healed. And you can see the true state of his faith in who God is and, and who Jesus is as he says, if you can help us. He's not sure. He doesn't know. He doesn't even know if he believes. He just hopes. And hope is a whole lot different than faith. Hope is filled with wonder. And faith is filled with confidence. We'll put it this way on the screen. Hope is like holding your breath with the future. But faith is believing in the one that knows the future. And the father in the story, he doesn't have faith. He just has hope. And he hopes that Jesus can do something. In fact, Jesus continues the conversation with the father. He says this in verse 23. He says, if you can, Jesus said, everything's possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, well, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He says, I do believe, but there's part of me that doesn't believe too, and that has to speak to somebody this morning. Are you the father in the story? Where you do have faith, you do have belief, at least some belief, partial belief, or maybe you're just partly unbelieving. Maybe you're not sure what to believe. Maybe you, you read the Bible where it says that God has a hope uh, and future and a prosper for you, but you haven't seen it yet. Uh, maybe you read the Bible and it says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. you. You haven't seen him in a while. Maybe you're just hoping instead of believing. And as the father asks Jesus to help his unbelief, Jesus says, watch this and believe. Here it is, verse 25. Here's the miracle. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and he lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Can you imagine being there and watching this happen? This, this boy convulsing and, and foaming and gnashing and, and he, he's just falling apart. It's terrifying. Yet Jesus commands the spirit to leave. And this boy shrieks a little bit more, and then he lies like a corpse until Jesus picks him up and he stands on his feet and his eyes are clear and he can hear and he can speak, and he's a brand new boy. He's completely healed. I can only imagine what that father felt as he watched this happening in front of him. His breathing is normal. He's standing under his own power. He's healed. And you know what else was healed? The father's faith. 
because he'd seen it with his own eyes. He'd seen the power of Jesus working in a powerful way, and because he'd seen it, he believed it too. His faith had been healed. See, I know this about this church because we're all just a bunch of humans, but I know this morning some of you are on the struggle bus with faith. Right now in this room, I know you keep looking for answers, keep looking for miracles to happen, you keep looking for God's hand to direct you to the next job that you're facing. You don't know what it looks like. And if you were totally honest with yourself, you might not be sure if you really believe all the way. And if your faith needs some healing, I hope this next part helps you. One of my favorite authors, her name's Ellen White. She, she writes a passage that many of you have heard many, many times. And here's what she says. She says, we have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. She said, we don't have to worry about what's coming because we've seen what's happened before. We don't have to worry about the future because we know what's happened in the past. If you struggle with belief in the future, just look to the past to see what he's already done. If you can't see his presence in your life now, and you're wondering what the step forward looks like, just look back and see the footsteps that have been with you, carrying you the whole way. You know, when I was a freshman at Southern Adventist University, theology major, every theology major has uh, one of the first classes that they take, every freshman they take, I think it's called a Christian ministry. I'm not even sure what the title of it is anymore. Um, but every freshman takes it, and there's a special retreat that you go to a cabin up in uh, Tennessee, up in, the, up in the mountains, and you, it's a beautiful cabin that overlooks this valley. And the whole point of this weekend retreat is for you to solidify your calling to ministry. Now, the weekend I went, we, we headed up to this cabin, and, and it snowed six or eight inches. It was beautiful, just a winter wonderland, something that you've never experienced in Florida. Beautiful. We get there, and Dr. Doug Tilstra was the lead guy there. He was the professor. All my classmates were there, and we, we spent some time hanging out, eating. And then on Sabbath morning, uh, Doug Tilstra, he, he gets out these sticky notepads. You've seen them, different colors. And he hands a, an entire pad to every student, a whole, a whole thick stack of them. And he says, I want you to take the next 45 minutes and find a, a, a place that's quiet, where you can just focus and listen and pray and, and see what God can do. He says, I want you to take this sticky notepad, and on every page that you have, I want you to write a marker event in your life from the day you were born until today now. Well, I didn't want to be around people, and so I, I got my coat on and my hat on, and I went out in my car, and I just sat there looking at the snow, just totally quiet in my car. And I took this notepad and I just started with that first one. I wrote the date that I was born, August 30, 1983, and I put it over there. And I went to the next one. I just started writing different events as they popped into my head. My baptism, sure. Uh, doing this over here. What somebody said over here. This experience on a ba basketball court. What, all these different experiences. And by the end of 45 minutes, I'd used up the whole stack, the whole pad. And I went back inside, and, and uh, Elder Tilstra, he passed out these poster boards, and he said, I want you to, to draw a line across them. This is your life continuum. This is your whole timeline. And he said, take all of those sticky notes, and you put them in chronological order on this line from the day you were born until today. And so it takes a while. You're sorting through these different things and trying to figure out when it happened, what year. And I put them on that line, and at the end of this exercise, not only could I see my timeline but I could also see the movement of God in the past 
as he started from the day I was born until the day I am currently, of his power moving in his life, of his leading, of his directing, of his guiding. And because I can see the past, what he's done for me then, I know that he'll carry me on in the future. And if you're facing uncertain days now, if you can't see what tomorrow looks like, if you can't seem to find your faith, if you aren't really sure what you believe anymore, may you look back and see what God has done and how he has led in the past. And may it grow your faith and belief in him for the future too. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, today as we look at a powerful story of your power working in someone's life, we also see the Father as his faith was changed and healed as well. And God, this morning I pray for this church family, for those that um, are really struggling. They don't know the future. Maybe it's job situations. I know there's a lot of that right now. Maybe it's uh, family situations. Maybe it's kids or parents or uh, maybe it's marriages. God, I don't know what they all, all the situations are, but I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to really show the way forward. May our faith and trust and belief in you be bolstered today. God, we love you, and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.